Hey, man, we've got some really cool things coming up. And by the way, I'll tell you, uh, first of all, we have our women's event coming up March 26th, just in a few days. I'm going to tell you, our women's ministry here is so solid. It's, it's got so many great leaders. Nancy Thomas and, and, and Vicki Cruz is involved. And I could just list probably 20 or 30 women that, that just on and on and on. And ladies, you just, you, if you're isolated, honestly, can I, can I just say it like I feel it? If you're isolated, you're, that's, that's a choice you're making. You, you, you don't have to be isolated. You, you just, you, you can step into the middle. And one of the things I love about Clearview is we have ladies of all ranges. We are truly, if you're a guest today, this is the, this is the most multi-generational church I've ever been a part of. Like we really do a lot of things together from 70 to 17. It, it's really neat to watch that unfold. And so I hope you can be a part of that. I'll tell you over the next three weeks, we got baptisms every single Sunday the next three weeks. And t- today in the next service, you, I, I'm telling you all this because you won't, you won't get to see it. There's a lady who, is, who, is, who was once a Hindu and has come to faith in Christ. Uh, her name's uh, Revathy, and she has a story like you just couldn't imagine. And it, I mean, we're going to get to baptize. I'm going to get to baptize her today in the next service. And it's, it's just amazing to, to watch. And that's come through a small group. And Ruth Smith, if any of y'all know Ruth and her group and Chuck, they've just done such a great job of ministering to that family. And it's, it's just neat to watch it, man. So it's, just, it's, a great, it's a great day to be at Clearview. And today I'm going to keep going in our foundations of, of, of freedom. Uh, we're going to keep going in that series. And I'm going to talk to you about something that maybe you might think, oh, this is kind of out of left field. Why? How could this be? How could this be foundational to my spiritual freedom? We're just coming out of keys to freedom, and we're looking at how do we, you know, the Bible says in Galatians 5, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. The Bible says that Jesus told us that if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So what does, how does that look on the street, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what I'm all about. I want to know A to B. It, how, how does freedom look in the sales room? How does freedom look in a contract when you're trying to form it? How does freedom look as a mom when you're trying to wrestle with your daughter on, you know, going through a situation in a curve that God has thrown your family? How does freedom look when you get bad news? How, how does freedom look in Christ when it comes to something going on in your job or maybe in, in geometry class? How does, that, how does that look in a dating relationship? And, and so we're talking about practical street-level pavement type things that help us stay free in Christ. And today, we're going to talk about gratitude. And I think it's very misunderstood. I really do. We're going to talk about the idea of gratitude. Now, it, when it comes to gratitude, right, you, you, you hear a lot about it. You hear a lot about this idea of gratitude. But I can tell you, I, I do think it's misunderstood. We better go to the next one. Move over one. Because um, I'm going to get off if I don't. I'm I'm too reliant on these things. You hear it. You hear it in the in the Old Testament all the time in the Psalms. Praise the Lord. Be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. You you, you hear it all the time in the New. Te- I mean, in the New Testament, it's Paul talks about it all the time. Like in Philippians four. Look at what this verse says. Um, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You've seen that verse so many times uh, played out. We're told to be thankful. Here's another one in Ephesians. Uh, look at this one. Uh, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of Jesus. We're, we're told to be thankful 
and we're told to have gratitude. But let me tell you what it's not, okay? This is what gratitude isn't, okay? Gratitude is, is not simply counting your blessings. I, I, I want to point that out to you. Because I, I think, you, you know, we all know we should be thankful. It's like a should, a should, a should. I should be thankful, and, and I feel that way. I should be more thankful. But look, you, you can... You can Anybody can look around. You don't need Jesus Christ. You don't need to be a believer to be thankful, right? I mean, I meet a lot of people that are super thankful people that are not Christians. You can, you can look around your life every day. Oh, God, thank you for the beautiful day. And it is a, a really pretty day. It's a beautiful day to have Sabbath. And, and it's, a, it's a beautiful day to, you can thank God for that. You can thank God for all kinds of things. But I'll tell you, gratitude is deeper than just simply being thankful. Ingratitude is far different. I, 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 in fact, I want to start out with a core truth this morning that we're gonna, you're going to see play out. We're, we're about, listen, we're about to look at one of the most tragic stories in Scripture. You know, well, I thought this was about gratitude. Oh, it is. We're going to look at all the weirdos this morning. All right? The Bible's full of weirdos, and I love the fact that God never, if you're a weirdo in the Bible, he doesn't try to hide it, right? Uh, you know? I mean, he just doesn't. He, if, if you're, y'all are looking at me like, can you say weirdo? Yeah, I did, like four times already. If you're new here, like, you know, this, I just say stuff. You just, you, you'll, you'll either learn to have grace or you'll leave, you know, with me, probably, you know. Uh, there's a lot to that statement, I'm sure. Um, but I can tell you, when it comes to gratitude, God takes ingratitude personally. He takes, in fact, I wrote that down as a core truth, and I want you to, I want you to lock that away in your soul this morning. God takes ingratitude personally. He really does. We're going to look at a group of people that really, it was more than just not being thankful. It was ingratitude. You see, the, the thing I want you to walk away with this morning is a very simple truth, and that is that gratitude prevents me from craving the unholy. You say, what do you mean, Jason? So this, this is how it's connected to freedom, spiritual freedom in Christ. Gratitude, believe it or not, I'm gonna, I hope by the end of this, I hope to have proven to you that gratitude will keep you from craving the unholy. So let's unpack that. It's in Numbers chapter 14. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers is right there in the very front of your Bible, the very, very front of your Bible, written a story by Moses. And if you're on a tablet and you want to use the same version I'm using, it's the New American Standard. So let me give you the, the context really quick as you're turning to Numbers chapter 14. God has told his people to cross the Jordan and take over the promised land. You hear, oh, that's the promised land. No, it literally means promised. God told them, I'm going to give you a whole new home. You used to be slaves, and now I'm going to give you a new place to live. And it's awesome. And you're going to love it. And so now he has sent spies to go spy out the land. And Joshua and Caleb come back with a few other spies. And Joshua and Caleb are believing in the Lord. The other ones aren't. And so they began to go around to the other people, gossip, and talk about all kinds of ways that it's not going to work because, you know, that's contagious, right? It's very contagious. And so 
Joshua and Caleb are in this tug of war with, with the, the spies going, don't, don't, don't spread the bad report. It's not true. And, and the, the Lord has given us this land. And so, so all of a sudden, everything kind of breaks loose. And they're in chaos. And this is where we picked up the story. Like they're right at the... So let's put this into a sports analogy because God loves sports and we know that. Um, so let's put this into a sports analogy. Like they are at the one yard line, okay? I know it's not football season, but it's coming. So we're going to, right? And I'm not going to go into all that happened in basketball yesterday, okay? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So, so they're, they're, they're at like the one yard line. And all they got to do is just cross the threshold. Or ju- how about this? Just reach over, you know? They're, they're right there. That's all they got to do. And here's where we pick the story up. Verse 1. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. And the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt. Or, or would that we have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord, look who they're blaming, bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? And then they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt, right? You ever, you ever if you lead a business or you lead a, a corporation or you ever feel like you got people against you, well, it gets worse. <laughs> then Moses and Aaron fell on their face in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and, and Caleb, and, and those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. That's a symbol of heavy grieving. It's a, it's a symbol of deep soul anguish. And they spoke to the congregation, and they said, The land that we, we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he'll bring us into the land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. But only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land. or They'll be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them. That's when you know it's bad. Like, hey, seriously, they wanted to kill them. They didn't just want to vote them out or replace them. They wanted them dead. Stone them with stones, and then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting. So now God intervenes. You know, you know when Dad walks in the room, it's about to get real, right? <laughs> seriously. Father shows up, and the Lord said to Moses, this is God talking now. I, I really want y'all to slow your mind down and pay attention to this whole thing. It's, it's truly, I've, I've studied this for so many years, this whole thing. It's just mind-boggling to me. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people spurn me? Do you, did you remember what I just said, that God takes ingratitude personally? Notice they were, time out. Did you notice they were complaining about Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb? Not God. God said, how long will they hate me? 
See, it, their complaining and their grumbling wasn't just a sign of they didn't like Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. It was a sign of an ingratitude spirit toward the Lord. And he took it personally. How long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs I've performed in their midst, I will smite them with pestilence. Man. And I will dispossess them. And I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses, now now I'm going to stop for a second because it's going to take me too long and I'll eat up too much time. And so Moses goes into intervention mode. Okay? So Moses goes and he says, hey, God, okay. Wait a minute. See, because the Bible says one of the one of Exodus thirty three thirteen, um, Moses Moses tells tells us that um, he tells God, show me your plans that I may know you. The Bible says in Exodus that God spoke to Moses as a man talks to a friend, like they had a actual interaction relationship. And so Moses goes to God. He says, hey, hold on a minute. Like you can kill them all. I mean, you can do that. But if you do. Everybody's going to think that you don't love them and that you're breaking your... I mean, he just goes into this whole thing. So, I'm, that's, so Moses begins intervening, and so verse picks up in verse 20, and he begs God to forgive them, and the Lord said, I have pardoned them. So remember, forgiveness is there, but consequent... Look, look you guys. Forgiveness and reaping what you sow are two different things, Right? So, but indeed, as I live, God is swearing by himself, verse 21, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, and surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which have performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but have put me to the test ten times and have not listened to my voice, verse 23, they shall by no means see the land which I swore their fathers. That's why it's tragic. They forfeited the promised land. Nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. Now, my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit, he's followed me fully. And I'll bring into the land which he entered and his descendants, and they'll take possession of it. Now, the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the... Those are really bad, like, beyond Taliban-type people. Now, the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys. Turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and he said in verse 27... How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. See, God's taking it personally. And so say to them, Moses and Aaron, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Even all your numbered men, according to your complete number, for 20 20 years old and upwards. So everybody 20 and up, who have grumbled against me, it says in verse 29, they're going to die in the desert. So we could go on and on and on with this story. So we're going to look at, at, at why gratitude matters so much. It's more than just being thankful. It, it's an indicator of where you are with God. Gratitude, I said to you a minute ago, gratitude prevents me from craving the unholy, right? It prevents me from craving the unholy. So let me tell you where this started. It actually didn't just start there in Numbers 14. I don't want you to turn there, but there's actually a place in a few chapters before, in a few months or maybe even a year, who knows, it's been time, there's been time 
that it actually started with them having an unholy desire. And Numbers 11 verse 4 says, uh, now the rabble who were among them had greedy cravings. See, God had been giving them manna and they said, I don't like it anymore. I want meat. They, they wanted more. See, they, they, they really wanted more. And so when you want more, things began to happen. When, in, in fact, I, I would go so far as to say, if you notice, if you start there, they begin to have unholy cravings. It says they were greedy. Greed obviously is a sin. So there was a portion of the people that wanted more than God was providing. And look in verse 3 of Numbers 14. Notice that when they began to question God, that's when it all unraveled. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? Our wives and kids are going to die. It's better for us to go back to Egypt. You see, did you notice that, that when they began to take matters into their own hands, it all started to unravel? Their, un, their ingratitude shows up because they, they started looking backward. They started looking at the life they used to have, not the life they actually have now, right? They began to look at what they used to have and what they, it's, it's amazing. I remember one time, um, Michelle's grandmother, Nanny Bailey, uh, was an amazing woman. Uh, she led a Bible study right up until she was in her 80s, and uh, amazing woman of God, and she and I used to have really great conversation. She was a learner, man. I, I remember at the age of like 75, she read Purpose Driven Church. And I was like, like, you're my hero. Like at 75, she's trying to figure out a better way to do it at church. I'm like, that's, that's how it should be right there. And, and so she, uh, she was talking one time to her. She told me uh, that um, she called them my ladies. She had a ladies Bible study group. And she said, you know, my my ladies complain a lot, and they always talk about how they miss the good old days. And I told them, girls, it, it wasn't all that good. I, I grew up with that without indoor plumbing and that without a garage door opener, and, I, and we walked everywhere we went, and we didn't have insulation in our house. The good old days weren't that great. Y'all just think they were. You know, like I got a microwave now. Hello? All right? It's... It's interesting how we start painting a picture. But what was Egypt? They were slaves. They were beaten, tortured, abused. Atrocities, unspeakable atrocities happened to their families. And they're wanting to go back there. See, you know why? Because they began to, they thought that they were missing something. And I'm going to say it to you this way. When you feel like you're missing out, you're going to start acting out. Okay? So I wrote that down for you. When you feel like you're missing out, you're going to start acting out. They, they began to think, it was better back there. I'm missing out. I, I, I'm, I'm missing out on a better life. Life could be better over there. Hey, y'all, before you knock these people too much, like we do this all the time. I mean, I, I do it all the time. I'm serious. I do it all the time. We always think the grass is greener somewhere else. No, you know where the grass is greener? Where you water it. That's where it's greener. The grass is green. I, I'm always fascinated by cows, right? Tastes good, so stupid, right? I mean, they, they eat well, but they, you could take, I, I'm, I see this happen all the time, and every time I do, I laugh. 
You could take a 100-acre pasture full of green, beautiful, plush grass and just put a fence right down the middle of it. And those cows will stick their head through that barbed wire to eat the same grass they're standing on. You ever, you ever notice that? They'll push their head and they'll cut themselves to eat the very grass they're standing on. It's crazy. But when you, when you feel like there's a barrier and you're just not quite getting what you should get, you'll start acting out. So what they do, they looked in the rearview mirror, didn't they? They looked in the rear. Hey, there's a reason, friends, that the windshield's bigger than the rear view, right? There's a reason the windshield's bigger. Let's, let's talk about acting out for a minute, okay? This whole fear of missing out. I'm going to kind of unravel some things that, that because I, I think that's the culprit, personally. I think the culprit of ingratitude here is the fear of missing out. When you start fearing you're missing out and you feel like you're missing out, you're going to start acting out. You're going to take your matters into your own hands. You really will. I've done it before. Wants versus needs right? And you'll start pursuing the unholy. So how did they do it? Well, there's probably 20 or 30 ways, but I'm going to give you three. Here's the big three, I think, in this story of where they were acting out and, and they were polluted. Number one, I would say, uh, I got them written down for you. They were polluted with fear, okay? Psychologists tell us, and I've, being in ministry, you're just around psychologists all the time. That's just kind of part of what you do. You're around counselors and and, and I can just tell you that psychologists tell us that far beyond anything we even understand, the vast majority of our decisions and our anxiety is motivated by fear. We are, we are, just, we are just fearful. We're afraid of something or we're afraid we're getting ripped off or somehow something isn't going our way. But they were polluted, first of all, with fear. And fear will toxify everything, man. When you are fearful of something, when, you, you know, when you're afraid, you know, I'll tell you how it manifests itself all the times. And, and, and I'm kind of living this out right now, okay? So th this is something that I have to constantly keep in check. Because um, it's, it's a real thing. I mean, this is probably going to turn into group therapy for a second. But, but I can tell you, like, right now, I've, I've got two boys. And and uh, one's a junior, and, and that, that light at the end of the tunnel is a freight train, you know, because you know they're leaving. And you're like, there's, there's this quiet panic in your soul of like, what? I mean, I'm going through my list. Have I gone through term life insurance? Have I told them about this? Have I told them about that? Have I talked to you about sex enough, a lot more? Have I, you, know, you start going through all these things. Have I prepared this? Have I prepared? Do they, do they know the difference between a growth fund and, and a, a growth and index? I mean, do they know growth and income fund? Do they know what a bond is? You know, I mean, have I, you just start going through, y'all look at me like, don't y'all look at me like y'all, I'm the only one feeling this way. Y'all are leaving me so stranded up here, all right? You start looking at all these things of what, what if they what if they pick the what if they date the wrong girl? Oh God. Oh no. What am I gonna do? You know? I mean you start going into all of this stuff. So all of you, you know, that are students and like give your mom and dad a break, like you get super emotional in the last couple years, you know, right? When I was passionate at Belmont Heights <laughs> move in weekend. Looking back on that, I'll tell you what we should have done at Belmont Heights, because we were on the campus of Belmont. What we really should have done is just had like 47 uh, hired counselors for a day and just run all the parents through the booths because they were, that, that, that was our Easter. Like our attendance tripled on move-in weekend. 
and you would see all these parents, like the, the kids were just rocking out and worshiping, and all the parents were like literally laying over in the pews, weeping, crying. And, and, and some of them were crying tears of joy, like they made it, you're out, it's over, praise God, right? But most of them were like, have I done enough, right? Fear, fear, fear can, if you let it, fear can paint such a story and you'll believe it. See, they were so afraid that they were missing out. Notice how the cravings shifted. Notice that it became the truth to them. I noticed in this story, as I've broken it apart over the years, one of the things that fear did to them and caused them to have ingratitude was they began to doubt God's provision. Think about that. God was giving them manna. And, and, and so they're, they're worried. Like, the God, they, they forgot. Like, I just wanted to go to them and say, how did y'all get here? Let's see. Oh, you walked through an ocean on dry ground. Go figure. But y'all, if they can do it, so can we. It just looks different. I love that song we sang. I mean, I've seen you move the mountains. It's not that we don't believe God can do it. We forget. We forget all the things that God did. I mean, God gave them like the original GPS maps app. It was called Cloud you know, by Day, Fire by Night. You know, they, they, they got, he took, he, he even said, look, I know you've never done the desert thing, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a cloud, just follow that, and then at night there's going to be no cloud, so you're going to freak out, I'm going to give you fire, just follow that, you'll be fine. Now you, they began to have all this fear, and that fear began to make them look backward and go, maybe it was, it was, it was better back there, I think, maybe. I'll tell you another thing it did. I, I think they were polluted with what I would call cannibalistic chaos. I said, what are you, were they eating each other? Yeah, they were, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, they were cannibals. They turned on each other. They turned on Joshua and Caleb. Did you notice that camps began to form? See, when you take matters into your own hands, all of a sudden, harmony goes out the window because you think it should, you should be getting it this way and you should be getting it that way and it should be better this way and it should be better. And then you start complaining, right? Because they, they had chaos in that place. And another, another way I think they were polluted was what I would just call defiance. I mean, think about it. In, in verse 22, it tells us that God says, Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs and all that I performed, but yet they have put me to the test, and they have not listened. They wouldn't listen to God. They wouldn't listen to Moses. They wouldn't listen to Aaron. They wouldn't listen to Joshua and Caleb. Defiance. God, God had given them great spiritual leaders. He really had. But see, you can't even, you can't even be thankful for your spiritual leaders when you feel like you're missing out. Because everything's turned inward, right? Everything's turned inward. All you're concerned about is what you're not getting instead of what you are. It's, it's a dangerous thing. It's a, it's a very dangerous thing. 
I think that when you begin to look at that life you once had, you start realizing that maybe you are missing out. And if you start missing out, you're going to start acting out. And they began to act out. And I think one of the, one of the biggest things gratitude does for us is when you are truly at a place of gratitude with God. And I'm going to tell you how this starts with me and what some ways I've, I've worked to have more gratitude. I think the, maybe the chief thing that gratitude does is, gra- I wrote it down this way, gratitude frames my situation with the perspective of God's sovereignty. See, that's more than just counting your blessings one by one, right? Now, I can count my blessings all day. It doesn't mean that I'm going to remember God's sovereignty. Now, see, what they had forgotten was that God was in control of all of it, and he had never been out of control. Aren't you glad God never says, oh, didn't see that coming? God never freaks out. He doesn't. And so I think what gratitude does is gratitude gives you a lens, and, and that lens is painted with the sovereignty of God. In fact, if you were, if you were in the, uh, the, the agreements workshop that I did a few, uh, few weeks ago, I'll, I'll do it again sometime closer to the fall. Um, one of the agreements, that the spiritual freedom agreements that I make, with, uh, that I say to the Lord, uh, almost every day I have nine that I go through, and, and, and one of them is I am protected by God's sovereignty. And every word of that is measured. I am protected by God's sovereignty. See, when you know that God is sovereign and you remind yourself of that, the Jews did it all the time. When they prayed to God, they would talk about all of his miraculous works because it would remind them of his sovereignty. And so they had forgotten all of that. When you start feeling like you're going to miss out, you're, 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 well, you're going to act out. And, and I think what ends up happening is, is they became their own boss. Now, I really, I really want you to look at the ramifications of that for a second. See, when you, when you feel like you're missing out, you're going to act out, and you're going to take matters into your own hands, and you're going to start making irresponsible decisions, or you're going you're to think things are true that aren't true, or you're going to believe things about people that aren't really true because you know what? There's a, now there's a different narrative driving the story. We, we learned in Keys to Freedom, if you remember, we, one of the things we learned in Keys to Freedom The truth will set you free. That's true. The truth you believe will set you free. Did I say that right, Rachel? Something like that? She's our keys to freedom expert. Uh, I just designated you that person just now. It happened really quick. Um, Yeah, she works for mercy. The the, the truth that you believe, the, the truth you choose in your mind, it may be a lie, but if you believe it, it'll drive the narrative. And they believed it could be better back there. So they began to act out. And what they did was they began to crave the unholy. They began to crave the food of the Egyptians, literally. They began to crave the environment of the Egyptians, They began to crave leaders that God hadn't appointed to be over them. Do you see how it unravels? 
When you start having these unholy cravings, all because you, you, it starts with an attitude that you can't be thankful. And so, friends, let me tell you something. When you begin to feel like you're missing out, you'll start acting out. And you'll act out out of selfish desires. And let me tell you what the Bible calls that. Idolatry. It's called idolatry. Selfish desires lead to self-gratification. Notice, notice what they wanted. They wanted something other than what God had provided. That's called idolatry. Gratitude is so much more than just counting your blessings. It's about a posture of understanding God's sovereignty Boy, there's a verse that the Lord has been using for me, and I think this is where, if you're wondering, okay, Jason, like, how, how, do I, how do I get, how do I insulate myself from this? Because, look, their sin, their sin of ingratitude, and it, y'all, don't, don't get lost on something. Don't get lost on the fact that God said, because of your complaining nature, you don't get to go. To the new house. Don't think complaining doesn't hit God's ears. It does. Because it's an indicator of where your soul is with the Lord. So I've, I've been working really hard the last few months to, probably the last six months or so, to incorporate gratitude into my, my, my daily worship time with God. And, and so what I do is it tends to start in the morning and and, and actually, I, I've, um, I'm not a systems guy. I know y'all are shocked by that. Uh, I, I'm not really good with systems and operations. You need to hire that out when you're not good with it. And, and, but I, I, it's not that I don't believe in systems and structures. I'm just not r- really good with them. And, and so, but I do, I do have a regimen that I go through in the mornings. And at the, the very first thing I do is I scan back over the last day or maybe the last season. That could be a week, a month. And I, I look for a place that God did something. And it may not even apply to me. It may be something he did for a friend. It may be something that I saw him do in our church. It may be something that, that happened to me or with my mom or dad or with Michelle or the boys or and it's not just, oh, God, I'm so thankful for that. No, it's like, God, I see that you did that. I see that you did it. I see that you connected those dots, and I want you to know I recognize it. I see that it was broken, and it wasn't going to get fixed, but you did it. And when you start, fra- let me tell you something, man. When you start framing up your first waking moments, it gets harder for the devil to lie to you. I mean, seriously. That doesn't mean he can't. I mean, I have to go through this stuff all the time. The battlefield is in the mind. And I'll tell you, the verse that the Lord has been using with me for a, a while now is Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Now, you, you hear Psalm 23 all the time at funerals, and you, you see it on bumper stickers, and you see it on memes, and you find it on Facebook. And, and, and it's because Psalm 23 is one of the most beautiful prose 
maybe ever penned. But I'm going to tell you something. Psalm 23, I wonder sometimes if in the Christian faith, if we're not overexposed to it. Because if you read Psalm 23 and you read it slow, right out of the gate, David recognizes the sovereignty of the shepherd. You see, it's different when you say to God, I lack nothing. God, I realize you're the provider of everything. There's nothing. I, I don't have to have anything. You see, let me tell you something, friends. Listen to me really close. Let me tell you something. When you start filling in the blank, life would be better if idolatry is really close. Life would just be better if I had a boyfriend that loved me. Let me tell you, a good boyfriend makes a poor God. Life would be better if my job, if God, if I could just get a raise, it would all be better. I remember a time when I was 19 years old thinking if I could just make $40,000 a year, I will never need anything again in my life. (laughs) We're laughing because like inflation, like what? You know, when you start filling in the blank, idolatry is not far behind. So when you understand that the Lord is my shepherd, I bet you I say that verse a few times a week at random times. The Lord is my shepherd, which means I follow. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. See, because when you, when you don't lack anything, when you have a life without lack, when the devil dangs, dangles the carrot, then you're like, I, I've, I've had that before. Or I, I, I don't need it. I, I don't need it. When you have a life without lack, then all of a sudden, then things become really clear. When you, when you recognize in this story the sovereignty of the shepherd, let me tell you what happens with even us and, and why this makes our souls free from, from deception and lies and idolatry. Because when you, when you recognize the sovereignty of the shepherd, a lot of things become really clear. Like your church, your church becomes this place of, of privilege. Y'all. I'm telling you, 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 don't, you don't know this. I wouldn't expect you to know this because like some of y'all are in insurance. I don't know insurance. If you tell me the kind of insurance I need, I'm going to listen because that's what you do. You know, if you're in healthcare, I believe you. That's what you do. I'm telling you, if, if you look around the national landscape in a post-pandemic era, all of a sudden you're like, man, there's a lot of churches that would trade places with Clearview right now. A whole lot of churches. Let's take that even, let's scale that a little bigger. There's a lot of churches in Africa that would say, wait, y'all have padded chairs? Well, that's pretty cool. We sit on the ground in the rain. Do you know how many churches in Ireland would do anything for a student pastor, much less three. Do you know how many churches would go, wow, like they're baptizing people? 
Because last year, way more than 10,000 Southern Baptist churches didn't baptize anybody. You see, when you start recognizing the sovereignty of the shepherd, you're going, wow, wait, I mean, this is, like, it's pretty good. When, when you start... When you start recognizing that I, I don't need anything, people stop becoming adversaries and people start becoming, I don't know, less than a nuisance. <laughs> right? I didn't know how to say that really. I, I came out, I think, okay. Um, when you start realizing that, yeah, I mean, it's okay. We're not in heaven yet. When you, start, when you start recognizing that, 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 that you know, your life isn't without, without lack, you, you know what you do? You start cherishing obedience. Obedience isn't something that you spurn. Notice how they were mad. God used the word, they spurned me. They spurned me. Like, I brought them out of Egypt. I gave them food. I mean, and, and they're making obedience look like this cruel punishment. When all I've asked them to do is follow so they don't get killed, hello? All I've asked them to do is go by the cloud and don't deviate. All I've asked them to do is, is, is trust Moses. All I've asked them to do is do all this. Why? Oh, I don't know. So they can live in a land they own and not be in prison. Everything he was doing was out of love, and yet they hated him for it. Because, see, they... They feared they were missing out. And when you feel you're missing out, you're going to act out. And that's when the idols come. See, when you, when you understand that you don't need anything or you don't lack anything, you get harmony by default. You get beauty by default. And I will tell you at the end of the day, you guys, what I see in this story, to put it in the positive, is that grateful people... They experience great favor. They do. Grateful people experience great favor with God because they know they don't deserve any of it. They really don't. The Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. If I don't have it, I must not need it. And let me tell you where that gets really hard. It gets really hard in Williamson County. When we have a beautiful county with amazing schools. I, lo I love living here. There's a lot of things I love. There's a lot of things I don't love. It's a, it, it can be a great place to raise a family. But when you see a lot of other things other people have, you are constantly, constantly. When, when Michelle and I first moved here 20 years ago, we weren't here but a couple of years. This was 20 years ago. And I remember one specific day driving down Highway 96. We were going somewhere to eat. And she just out of nowhere, she said, are we doing something wrong? I'm like, what do you mean? She said, I don't know. Like, there's just a lot of people with a lot of stuff that we don't have. I said, yeah, honey, it's called debt. <laughs> like, big time. 
But don't think I'm immune to it. It's a battle we fight every day. And I think that we've been given so much that much is always in front of us. And, and we can get to a place where we feel like we're missing out when in fact, friends, we're doing really good. We really are. And I have to tell myself all the time, the Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. So that I don't pursue the unholy or feel like I'm missing out. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.